In 2016, scientists on Earth detected a fast radio burst from a distant region of space with no observable SARS. The following transmissions were declassified by the scientific community and given to us to present as the Binary Saga. Log entry, Jaime Venus 60, 2361, Age of Enlightenment. Hey, Jason. Congratulations on the test pilot program. I've been on cracked ice waiting for the news, but I was positive you would make it. Have you gotten to fly anything cool yet? I attached a video of Heather, Mari, and I toasting your success. We may have been drinking before we recorded that, so ignore Mari. I think she actually kissed the camera. <laughs> I had forgotten that Javi was also in the VSA training program. The girls and I made sure to send congratulations videos to him, too. We congratulated him on being second best, which should sting a little. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> I'm sorry that the Yana was damaged, but I'm glad you're okay. I can totally see how that would be a wake-up. Hitting a rock in open ocean must have been incredibly scary. I got the chills listening to how you described it. How are the others faring without you at the helm? Do they even have a chance to win any races without you? I love the story of how Loar and the Council were founded. It's truly beautiful. If some of those history books have been digitized, I would appreciate copies. I enjoy learning about the ancient Velens. It's so much more interesting than our history. Also, speaking of the Council, I might have something your mom can use. I don't know if Mari told you, but her dad recently became Chief of Staff to Representative Kios from Yodat's 3rd District. Kios mentioned to me at a recent gala that he favored closer cooperation with Vela, so there might be something there. I attached the contact information for Mari's dad. Tell her to tread carefully, though. He's a little over-eager. <laughs> My boss at the Lillian Trade Division has been a total jerk, and he's way in over his head, but he manages up really well. And I'm sure he'll be division chief in no time. Typical. I voted most of that drama because I was assigned to Hopnina for the trade and economic negotiations with the Lithians. It has been a very busy few months. <laughs> but I have so much to tell you. The attendees to the talks included a wide yet select representation of Samcoma representatives, heads of house, prominent business owners, economists, advocates, lobbyists from both Haimavina and the Alithian system. To say that everyone was maneuvering to be first to the mark would be an understatement, and we were no different. In fact, we may have had an advantage, because my grandfather Mikel was chosen to facilitate the negotiations, which essentially put him in charge of running the entire event. Vera attended as a senior representative from Lulea, and my dad represented House Jorgensen. And I, a lowly government and nobody, made it a point not to sit near any of them. This was by design, and allowed us to watch the entire room and still communicate with our family camp. My role for both the House and the Lulean government was to sit unnoticed among the deputies, assistants, and other scions who were present as backbenchers. 
People often say a lot more than they realize, and nobody pays attention to their body language. Like I told you last time, to keep a low profile, I was listed as Susela Newspark Esquire, Deputy Second Secretary, Lulean Economic and Trade Division. This pretty much guaranteed that the Lithians would assume that I was just there to take notes and keep quiet. My age didn't hurt either, because none of the Lithians saw me as anything other than an assistant. Sounds like a good plan, right? Well, it was. And it almost worked. <laughs> Literally on the first day, as I was grabbing a cup of the worst cafe I've ever had, a voice behind me said, Does this cafe always taste this terrible? And I mumbled something about e catering and turned around to find a tall, blue-eyed Alithian around my age. I realized that my e-cal comment probably didn't make any sense to him, so I hastily explained that the cafe was unusually bad. And he smiled brightly and said that he was glad it wasn't just him. The day kicked off with a keynote address from Vera that left the Lithians visibly impressed. Mikhail followed with the agenda, and the talks began in earnest. The Lithians apparently love the sound of their own voices, and never seemed to get to a point. They laid out a lot of broad ideas, revealed very little actual information about their economy, assured us that everything would work out, and noted how excited they were for us to rejoin the Empire. So, the usual. <laughs> As the talks wore on, I noticed that same Lithian backbenching on the other side of the room. And I caught him glancing at me a few times, and we made eye contact. During lunch break, he came straight up to me, seemed momentarily flustered, and then said, Can I ask about your hair? I've only seen a few others wear those. What's the style called? I told him that they were called fleta. And he launched into a description of hairstyles on Alondra and Ganama. As he spoke, he kept moving his chin-length hair behind his ears and periodically played with his short beard. I could not tell if it was nerves or he was signaling someone. He had family runes, but all Lithians do, so that didn't help. His academic hoofler matched mine, so I knew he was an advocate. Really, the only thing that stood out was his age. I was about to ask him his name when I caught my dad's signal, so I excused myself from him. As the meeting wrapped up, I didn't see which group he left with, so I couldn't tell whose assistant he was. I scanned the booklet of attendees, but there were no profile pictures. After the first day, the talks broke into smaller discussion groups, and I didn't see him for the rest of the week. In fact, I almost forgot about him. The small group discussions dragged on for several days longer than initially planned, and the plenary session did not reconvene until the end of the second week. I had just gotten settled in my chair when I smelled the distinct aroma of Lulean Cafe. I looked up to find the same Alithian standing in front of me, with an awkward smile, and two cups from a local cafe shop, and said, So, I should probably introduce myself. My name is Anduin Vinstrasse, scion to House Vinstrasse, but everyone calls me Andy. Cafe? I smiled. I took the cup he held out to me 
and thanked him for the café, nodding my head towards the seat next to me. As he sat down, I asked him where he found Lulean Café in Hopnina, and he smiled sheepishly and confessed that he had gone to every café place within walking distance. <laughs> I laughed, and I introduced myself as Cecella. He did not seem at all surprised, and said, Nice to meet you. Do you prefer Cicella or CJ? He had clearly asked around about me, and it made me a little uncomfortable. I mean, the cafe was exactly the way I usually order it. He must have sensed my apprehension because he started talking a little faster than normal. I'm sorry, I'm really bad at meeting new people, and honestly, I've never met another scion my age. On Alondra, I'm just a kid, and nobody takes me seriously. But the Hymovenans don't see you that way. And I'm not sure why, but his words immediately put me at ease. And I said, not always. It's something I constantly work at. I have to think faster and be more clever and get them to agree before they realize who they're talking to. Know what I mean? And his laugh was warm and genuine. And he said that he completely understood. And we continued to chat quietly until the session began. As the meeting broke up later that afternoon, he asked, So, would you maybe have time to show an Alithian around? There's so much to see. And by Alithian, I mean me, Andy, not some other random Alithian. I couldn't help it. I laughed. And he flashed that smile again. On the ride back to my parents' place, Mikkel and my dad and I discussed the talks. And despite their technological advantages, the Alithians were not at all different from us. And Mikkel remarked, and it was like dealing with other continents. I briefed them on my exchange with Andy, noting that he was the scion to House Vinstrasse, and they were fine with it. Mikkel noted that Raythea Vinstrasse, who was very nice and more forthcoming than the other Alithians, had only recently become head of house. When I asked him what should I do about Andy, they both laughed, and Mikkel said, Kiddo, not everyone needs to be an asset. He's cute. Have fun. Over the next several months, when we weren't busy with house business or trade negotiations, I took Mikkel's advice, and I showed Andy around. We actually ended up becoming pretty close friends. Andy is a genuinely nice person, and... It was great to have someone to talk to that actually understood the oddities of my life. In fact, his life is even more complicated than mine because he's officially a scion already. I learned that he's also 27 and shares a birthday with my favorite villain in the universe, you. He graduated law school the same year as I did and has three brothers, two of whom are twins. And he was born and raised in the Alondran capital of Brengard, which sits on the site of the original colony. He's pretty sure that his ancestors were Lulean, because most of the first colonists were from Lulea, which something I hadn't known. It's also cool to learn about Alondra from a real person, and the concept of another planet inhabited by Mana finally seemed real. Because we're both public figures, we try to avoid the gossip sheep photographers as much as possible. But they still got plenty of pictures of us together. In spite of all of that, 
I knew exactly where to take him, because I've done this tour a dozen times in my head. It's the same tour I planned for you when you come to visit. We went on private tours of the ancient library and some ancient settlements, visited breweries in Napua, watched a Fopolta game from our house box, saw a regatta in Loganlin, and went on tastings at vineyards outside of Stromsheim. And of course, we hung out with Mari and Heather and their boyfriends. It was really fun. And you'll love this. Apparently, Andy sailed for his prep school and university. So I took him out on my mom's segbit for an afternoon sail outside of Hopnina Harbor. He loved it, and he told everyone who would listen that he got to sail on another planet. Andy came alive behind the wheel, and I don't think I've ever seen someone so happy. He's also super competitive, and we apparently had to race every segbit out on the water. <laughs> Raythea told me later to prepare myself, because it only gets worse when all of her boys are together. <laughs> the picture I attached is of him when we had the spinnaker up and we hit five knots over the rated speed. He's so cute in that picture. I may have that as my screen background on my hand terminal. <laughs> Honestly, I had no idea my mom's Segovic could go so fast. To kick off CJ's Heimavenen world tour, I borrowed one of the Verksad corporate hoppers to take Andy on an aerial ride around Hopnina. Area totally used my request as an excuse to meet the young Alithian I'd been spending time with. Andy played right into Area's trap, because when he met her, he stared at the two of us with a shocked look on his face. After a noticeable pause, he said, Madam Newspark, there is no way you're her grandmother. You could be twins. Iria laughed and swatted his arm before she turned to me and said, He's cute, CJ. You can take the hopper. Before we left, Iria showed him around the Verkstad corporate offices and embarrassed me by telling stories about me as a kid. Andy met a bunch of executives, including Tara Lou, who was her usual humorous self. He asked a lot of questions because House Vinstrasse controls a good portion of the Lithian space component manufacturing sector. As you can imagine, Iria and Tara Lou were very interested in further discussions, but Iria said that she would rather conduct house business in a more official capacity with Raythea, Andy, and their teams. I can see why Andy is already a scion, because he pivoted so smoothly. You would have thought those meetings were already scheduled. Andy was very impressed with Iria. And I'm not sure what happened to my brain. <laughs> But I said if he wanted to meet the real area, he should join us for Sun and Dog Brunch. And it was all I could do not to clap my hands over my mouth. <laughs> not because I didn't want him to come, but invitations to Sun and Dog Brunch is a big deal. Because you're bringing someone home to meet your family. I have never brought a boy home for Sun and Dog Brunch. Not even Harik. And we dated for three years. Andy stopped dead and touched his hand on his heart. He cracked a huge smile and said, Really? I would love to meet your family. It turns out that Sun and Dog Brunch means the same thing on Alondra. <laughs> the hopper pilot took us west out over the ocean, and then he banked around towards the massive harbor for the full effect. 
and he was glued to the windows and told me he loved seeing the city this way. And then we cut north toward the Twin Sisters Range and over the old EC base camp. And I told him about Iria's run-in with an ice lion and her famous volcano broadcast. Andy's hero worship of Iria firmly cemented. We banked southeast over the bluffs that ring the city. Looking towards the ocean, you could see just how big the city is, dotted with bridges and small harbors and suburbs tucked into the hillsides. I got it on video, and I attached a copy for you, too. We landed in an exclusive restaurant on the bluffs that has a great view of the entire skyline. I like this restaurant because it doesn't allow press or photographers. The staff is paid to be discreet, and the food's pretty decent. I had reserved a quiet table by the window, and Andy kept talking how cool Hopnina was, when I told him that Stromsheim was my favorite, and he said, great, when do we leave? After lunch, we walked over to the Overlook to admire the city. Andy seemed to freeze when he got to the railing, and he started breathing slowly and deeply. When I asked him if he was okay, he said it was overwhelming to see the incredible world that we had created from near extinction. He explained that when the news of our survival broke in the Lithian system, it was hard to comprehend, and the sense of collective guilt settled over everyone, and it still made it hard to know what to say. I told him, honestly, that many Haimavinans are still in shock about the Citizanda because many are still alive that experienced very real impacts of it. I also told him about the backlash against the Fjallstads when people learned their ancestor was responsible, even if it was an accident. Andy knew the history, but I don't think he realized how real it was for us. He nodded to himself and then said, it explained why the Haimavinans always seemed so weary to keep the Ilithians at a distance. I mean, Jason, what else could I really say? He was right. Granted, at that point, I hadn't known him that long. I had been having a great time, and I really enjoyed his company, but I hadn't realized that I still thought of him as an Alithian. I was still mad at them for forgetting about us, and then returning to take away our planet. At that moment, I decided to forgive and close the distance. I slipped my hand in his and clasped thumbs. Andy looked down at me, stunned by my gesture. And I smiled up at him and said, You didn't do anything. I'm the one who needs to apologize. Because I've been totally unfair to you. Andy unexpectedly pulled me into a hug and whispered, Thank you, Cicela. And slowly something changed. It was like we had to say the obvious and confront it before we can move past being a Haimavinan and an Alithian and just be Mana again. When we released each other, he wasn't my Alithian friend. He was Andy. I guess looking back, that was the moment we became good friends. There was a noticeable difference between us on the hopper ride back. We sat closer. We laughed more. I even got him to record a little message for you in a Londrin slang. He thinks it's cool that we are in contact with an entirely different species of people on another planet. Predictably, when I told him what an amazing skiff sailor you were, he challenged you to a race. 
Of course, the press noticed the change, and there was a lot of speculation about our relationship. More interestingly, our friendship had a broader impact, and the pictures of an Alithian and a Hymavian being friends began to change the attitudes on both sides. If we could let the past go, so could everyone, and we could all move forward. So, remember when I said I invited Andy to Sun and Dog Brunch? Well, he arrived at my grandparents' flat with his mother. My grandfather Lars had made a gigantic spread of yummy food, as usual, so there was plenty for everyone, and my family made them feel at home. Raythea and Iria, who are about the same age, had a grand time trading tales about the joys of having twins. This thoroughly embarrassed my mom, which was hilarious. Andy sat through a detailed history of Hymavenan wild fermented ales for my dad and Lars, and even sampled several of their creations. Kai kept everyone laughing with stories from Gisto Space Complex. Kai told me later that if I didn't want to be friends with Andy, he would happily take over showing him around. Apparently, they're brothers now. <laughs> I didn't ask. I retreated to a sofa on the Varan with my grandparents, Big Farhoon Halley. I was answering a few work messages when Andy joined me, and Hallie immediately got up and moved over to Andy and put her huge head on his lap to get snuggles. Traitor. <laughs> he rubbed her ears and scratched her chest, while Hallie's tail just thumped away. She has no shame. He looked back into the flat and asked why we have such small families. Andy's one of four, so I could see how our group might look small. I pointed at the sky, and I explained that only in the last couple hundred years that Hymavenans began to have more than one or two children. He nodded and said, So that's why you have kids so young. That makes sense. At that moment, I hadn't realized the extent to which our lives, traditions, and customs were affected by the Sidasanda. Andy thanked me for the invitation to brunch, and he told me that his grandmother, Alora, the former head of Hausmannstrasse had recently died in an accident. Added to the trip here, his mom had been missing their family and home a lot. He said she really needed this brunch. And I told him that I was happy they'd come, and I truly was. I told him that Erie and Lars would expect them back. At which point he laughed and said, they're in there already making plans. And then it happened again. I blurted out, how about you? What do you need? And he smiled at me and said, Nothing. I feel like I'm home. Hallie seemed to approve and tried to climb into his lap. <laughs> then I noticed my mom standing in the open doorway, clearly listening to our conversation. And as Andy wrestled on the ground with Hallie, she signed, I love him. You two are perfect. And I signed back, Mom, stop it. She stuck her tongue out at me and went back inside. And this is why you never invite anyone to Sun and Dog Brunch. <laughs> it's been only a few months since I said goodbye to Andy and Raythea at the spaceport. Andy looked back at me just before he boarded the plane, and I kissed my fingers of my right hand and pressed them against the glass. He beamed that smile, and he made a V with his index finger and middle finger over his heart which is the Vinstrasse camp for love and respect. And then he boarded the plane. 
And as I watched the plane fade into the distance, all I could think about was how much I was going to miss him. And then maybe one day, I'll get to think about how much I'll miss you when we say goodbye there too. Vinda Tilenda, CJ, H. 27. Log entry Vela 60-1. Vela Rotat 2683, cycle 8 of the 7th panel. <sighs> so, um, hi CJ. It's Javi. Uh, I don't know where to start with these things, so... Um, I needed to send you this because Jason asked me to, in case your message came in while he... <sighs> don't worry, I didn't read anything. Jason knows that your privacy is really important. He only gave me the codes to see when a message came in, so that if he was ever unable to send you something, you wouldn't be left not knowing. It's actually pretty standard procedure for test pilots. We tend to plan for every sort of contingency. I don't know why he picked me to be his Sui, but here we are. Oh, that may not translate well. Uh, Sui handles all the affairs of someone while they... can't. CJ, we never think about these things when we were growing up. When Jason and I were younger, things were so different between us. I think if I had pulled my head out of my pants hat earlier, we could have become friends way back then. Instead, I was a jerk. Prejo and Trejor just didn't get it back then. We thought we were so cool, and picking on some new kid... Well, I'm guessing that he told you about that. He probably never knew that I actually admired him, and how we fought back. I still have a few discoloured scales from when he hit me. We both wanted to fly, and he was so determined. When I found out that we were both attending the same university, I actually tried to apologise to him. Three times. The second time I think he wanted to hit me again. Ever since the third time, he's become a brother to me. I would have never made it through VSA training without him. And the last few annals have felt really weird without him around, because we almost always did stuff together. <sighs> I'm rambling. I know. CJ, there was an accident on his last test flight. No, we're not going to think like that. His latest flight. They were testing out some new tech that was pulled from the Crimson Sun to see if it could be even viable in our atmosphere. Real revolutionary stuff. I could almost see why those Chonerds revere the ancients so much. They made some really great tech. Well, everything was going smoothly until... it didn't. Jason had just started a pull-up to approach the exit vector and suddenly the engine just shut off. The examiners are still trying to figure it out. They are confident that it was in his fault, and it was something with the engine. He managed to eject, but he was so high up that his pod iced over and wouldn't deploy its glide. It landed in the sea pretty hard. Jason got pretty messed up, CJ. He's been in hospital for almost five annals now. They're keeping him sedated while he heals. Madame Ori hasn't left his side. It seems like every cycle they come out saying he's either doing better or worse. I told his mum that I would handle everything so he could just be with him. Which is why you're hearing from me and not her. I'm scared for him, CJ. Test pilots aren't supposed to be afraid of things like this, but I am. He told me that anything ever happened that I needed to let you know, so that you didn't think he'd hand to you. 
I know you probably want to reply to this, but I would say just just wait. I just know that he'll wake up soon and he'll want to reply properly himself. Jason told me some about your culture, and that you have someone named Linnea? While we don't have that sort of belief here, I'm willing to reach out and ask if maybe you could put in a good word with her for him. If anything changes, we'll let you know as soon as we can. May the waves protect him, Harvey. Log entry, Vela 60-2. Vela Rotat 2683, cycle 10 of the 9th Annual. Hey there, CJ. I think I may have been out for a while. Did I miss anything? Actually, I woke up about an Annual ago, but I was kind of out of sorts, so they wanted to keep my interactions down to a minimum. Trust me, I wanted to send you a message sooner, but I just wasn't sure how to phrase anything. I really feel like I let everyone down. I've been on a number of flights for new and old systems before, but in the eyes of the program, I'm still pretty inexperienced. To have a major project like this fail on my watch is bad. I know that they are saying none of it is my fault, but I was the commanding pilot of the craft, As soon as it takes off, it's my show. Everyone was so happy for me to get this opportunity and I feel like I just failed in a big way. The flight should have gone completely textbook. They ran through all of the ground tests and this was the first major run of the whole ship in an airborne state. The design was heavily based on information from the Crimson Sun, but from what we know, the CS was still under construction when it left Braddoth all those rotats ago. Then there's the damage it sustained when it crashed. Needless to say, our engineers here had to do a lot of speculation and improvisation, but they did manage to get something working in all of their test scenarios. We were told that it was green across the board and the launch would be smooth. Actually, I think the launch was the only thing that went smoothly. It wasn't until I started getting close to breaking the atmosphere that it started to go downriver. The entire ship just shut down. Even the manual controls were unresponsive. We had a separate communication set up for something like this, and even though I was probably ready to shed a full set of scales at that point, I maintained my calm and just ran through the usual checklists with the ground controllers. They were telling me that everything was the same on their end. The ship was dead. It still had velocity, so I was still going up, but with no control, it wouldn't be long. System reboot wasn't happening, and they eventually came back and said that there was no point in trying anymore. The decision was made to eject. This is the point where bad went to worse, faster than the ship that I was already on. You see, our escape pods are designed to work in the rigors of outer space, and have no issues functioning in the atmosphere. The problem is that I wasn't really in either place at that moment. I had just reached exit altitude, and was in that small space in between, just a little higher and there would have been no atmosphere or moisture in the air, or a little lower and the air would have been warmer. As it was, when the pod deployed, the glide assembly froze solid and couldn't open. The deployment mechanism then burned out during the attempt and at that point it didn't matter. The glide module is there to slow down the craft enough for the emergency parachutes to open. Without it, 
I was about to have a really bad ending to what was supposed to be a great day. Do you know how long it takes for a pod to fall from the upper atmosphere to sea level? I'll save you the math. It takes about 28 rotats. Okay, maybe not that long, but it felt like it. I had enough time to run through every emergency list that I had three times and then reflect on every decision I have ever made. I even managed to mentally compose an entire message to you. I don't remember much of it, only the parts where I said I was so sorry that I wouldn't be able to reply to you or eventually visit. Using manual controls for the directional thrusters only, I had to spin the pod around multiple times to attempt to slow down. When I was just above the normal flight airspace, I was still going too fast. But I fired the chutes anyways because it was my only hope. I hit the water at an angle, which helped a little, but I was still tossed around like a kelp salad in a fish house. The pod, weighing more than most houses, sank like a stone. When the recovery team, who were already in the area waiting for me to hit, got to me, they said I was in so deep that I was on emergency oxygen. I have to go on what they said because at that point I was completely unresponsive. I'm not sure if there are any bones in my body that didn't have some sort of fracture. They actually kept me sedated after they brought me in because of the trauma. The biolab was contacted to bring in a few specialists to help with my recovery. I have to admit that being a test pilot has its privileges. The healthcare program is no joke. They are expecting me to be back to normal in a few more annuals. And the bosses at the TPP have all said that I'm expected to return and ease my way back into flight status. Everyone here has been really supportive. I'm sure that part of it is that the council's eyes are on them for having an experimental aircraft nearly blow up one of its highest ranking members' sons and the only child of a space hero. Ugh. Your congratulations video made me both very happy and a little sad. Don't get me wrong, I enjoyed it, and it was great seeing everyone, but here I am waking up after one of the worst crashes in the program for Rotats, and seeing everyone say, congrats, just hit a little hard. I feel like I let all of you down. Don't tell the others this, but I think I'm just feeling a little, ugh, I don't know, about all of this. I really do appreciate it. There's no way you could have known that this would happen. I passed on the information you gave me about Mari's dad to my mom. She has been the real hero throughout all of this. Her and Javi have both been taking shifts, watching over me here. She took the info and filed it away in her hand term with a, hmm, okay, now are you eating? I know her, and she'll eventually look at it. Hopefully something good will happen, but as with all things, it's going to take time. For now, her mom gear is as frozen as my glide was. Is it too soon to make that joke? Yeah, she didn't like it either. My old skiff team all came by to visit shortly after I woke up. It would seem that they're doing fine without me. It was great to hear for them, but when they left, I just wanted to be alone for a while. I know I was out for a pretty long time, and they should be doing well without me, but it just felt like I wasn't needed by them. They weren't trying to brag about it, and all they wanted to know was what it was like flying. They even organized a special race just for me to help raise funds for the hospital I'm staying in. Really a great bunch. Sitting here in this hospital bed, I have a lot of time to think, and sometimes I just miss being out on the water with them. The worst thing we have to worry about is something like hitting a rock. 
All of the tours that you went on sounded amazing. It would be great to visit the places you mentioned. I remember in that message I didn't send, thinking about all the places that you had mentioned in the past. The videos and photos just don't do it justice, I'm sure. The idea of making it out to see Haimovina is one of the things that is really keeping me going at this point. I want to fly above all those scenic vistas and visit more than just the planet. I want to meet Tarlu and Aunt Iria, everyone really. I want to see the planet from Braddoth and fly above the Twin Sisters Mountains. What I don't want to do is meet some Lithian named Andy. I thought you said you would be careful. You were going in there to collect information as an unseen force that wouldn't be noticed and instead you got targeted. It sounds like this guy was there just to distract you. I can't say it enough, CJ. You have to be careful. Here is someone that has a lot of your same interests and even knows exactly what kind of coffee you like. I know it's hard to find someone who likes you for you, but your story, from a different set of eyes, just raised my scales in a way that makes me very worried for you. It sounds like you made a genuine connection with him, but who knows what the others are planning to do through him. Working at the TPP, we actually go through a lot of training to spot any sort of social engineering. While the VSA is a global, council-funded entity, there are still smaller companies out there on the fringes that are working on their own programs. Many of them are up front and work closely with the VSA to share information. But there are always some that want to get the upper fin on the others. Pilots and engineers are regularly targeted to try and get extra information, not to mention the press. With the recovery project of the Crimson Sun, everyone is trying to learn more about what's being brought back and what's being developed. At least twice in a Newell, someone comes up to us at a restaurant or a bar trying to get close. Javi was just telling me the other day how someone sat down at his table in the cafeteria here, buying him a tea and asking him how his day was going. They knew his relationship with me and eventually started asking questions about the accident. Maybe it's the drugs making me more paranoid than usual, but I just have a bad feeling about this guy. I hope, for your sake, that I'm wrong. For now, I'm still laying here, hooked up to so many different gadgets and wires that I'm certain I may gain superpowers if a lightning bolt hits this building. I would say you could send me something to cheer me up, but I really hope that in two rotats between now and then, that I will be back to work and this will all just be a distant memory. A memory that my co-workers will likely never let me forget. They are even talking about giving me a call sign, Rock, which sounds cool and all until you realize that my only two crashes on record involve hitting a rock with the Yana and becoming a rock and sinking to the bottom of the ocean. <sighs> May the waves guide me. Jason, 28. Log entry, Haimavina 61, 2363, Age of Enlightenment. Hey, Jason. I don't know what to say. I'm so happy you're okay. I don't think I've ever asked Linnea for anything. And maybe she listened. Because you're okay. When Javi's message came in, I lost it a little bit. 
Like I grabbed my area on a video call and she kept telling me that it was going to be okay. But I felt like I couldn't breathe. I screamed and I demanded that we make the Alithians take us to Vela. I didn't care about diplomatic relations. I just wanted to be there when you woke up. Because there's an old myth that says we want to have healing powers. And all I needed to do was just to hold your hand. But no one would take me to you. I tried. I really did. And Iria cried with me and told me that she'd been through this many times and hated it too. And she said, if she could, she would. And I kept screaming at her that you could die. And I hung up on the call. And I was on the floor again. Maybe five hours later, I was curled up on my bed, staring out the window, when I heard my apartment door open. And I turned to see Iria walk in my bedroom. She had flown all the way to Stromsheim to be with me. And I started to cry all over again. She climbed in next to me and wrapped me into a hug like she did when I was little. And she told me how helpless she had felt when Papa Gisto died and hated that she couldn't help her entire family, but she could help me. She told me that you were getting the best care and all we could do was ask Linnea to watch over you. Hang on. So, Rock, how are you doing now? Maybe it's silly to ask since it's been a while, but... The way you described your accent, it was terrifying. I'm still having trouble comprehending everything that you have been through. But I'm so happy to hear from you. I'll start crying again if I keep thinking about it. How's your mom holding up? Did you get reassigned because of the accident, or are you still in the test pilot program? Knowing you, I doubt even fracturing all the bones in your body would stop you from continuing. I'm happy that your friends got to see you. And Javi was there for you. And and I'm so sorry I wasn't there when you woke up. I really wanted to be. I keep thinking how crazy this universe is. Because while you were having the worst year of your life, I was having, well, the best. I think it's funny how the universe balances the scales like that. Well, when you need a distraction, you can play the rest of this message. Because I have so much to tell you. But just know that I'm so happy you're okay. Okay, I'll catch you up on a few things so I can calm down. Not long after I sent you my last message, I decided to resign from the Lulean government because my house role was creating a conflict of interest that could damage both the government and House Jorgensen. The only downside is I work directly for my dad. Now I love my dad, and he's one of my favorite people in the world. But he can be challenging to work for, and has high expectations for me. Granted, he's only in Stromheim about once a month. But when he's in town, and it's a particularly rough day in the office, the estate is too small. <laughs> my mom usually joins him when he comes to town, and she sometimes still is our referee. As far as the trade negotiations, we Hymenbeans fared much better than expected, and the treaty was easily ratified by our respective Samcomas. As it turned out, we were able to leverage the collective guilt of the Alithians to get a better currency conversion. And the end result was that the Hymavians retained the majority of our wealth. With the economic peace negotiated, talks have shifted to the political realm and the terms in which we enter the Empire. Last time I checked, the debate was over whether the planet would be called Hymavina or back to Hymavala Prime. 
More importantly, there are talks about the future of the matriarchy and in whether we'll merge the Samcomas. I'm very happy to be away from those negotiations, which has been a total mess. You'll find this interesting. The question about what to do about Bella is still being debated. The Alithians have multiple opinions, which vary on depending on who you're talking to. Some are focused on getting Haimavina back into the Empire before having the conversation about Vela. Others actively avoid talking about Vela and will change the subject as soon as it comes up. Finally, some of the Alithians think, we've been too open with Vela, which is rich coming from the people who just showed up here not long ago and did the same thing. <laughs> Vera thinks it's probably for the best that Vela is separated from our internal political discussions for the time being. I think it's very sweet that you're worried about Andy. I laughed that you said that he might be a spy. He was just excited to meet someone his age. And so what if he thought I was cute and wanted to impress me? You can't expect me to think that you never put a little effort to get someone's attention. A spy? <laughs> that doesn't even make sense. You think my grandmother, the Prime Minister of Lulea, didn't know exactly who the Vinstrasses were before they walked into the trade negotiations? <laughs> Mikhail told me later that he and Vera had a bet and how long it would take us to notice each other. You'll be glad to know that my dad was unsure about Andy as well, though I think it was because he's a very protective father. Andy was gone for almost a year and a half, and we tried to stay in touch while he was gone, and to be honest, that was only possible because we have connections. Communication between the Alithian and the Luda system hasn't become regular yet, and we are primarily reliant on ships carrying messages back and forth. Longer messages, like the packets you and I send, are uploaded onto servers on these ships, downloaded when they arrive, and the responses are now loaded onto the next ship. This is obviously a pain and extremely expensive because the ships aren't traveling very regularly yet. The other option, which we have only used a few times, uses the Alithian Fleet Command Channel. I don't know how it works, but the messages are limited to 80 characters. We only got access to this because Andy's youngest brother is an officer in the First Fleet. We clearly use it for important things, because one of the messages I got was, Arrive, Julie 23, 1600, Ecal. Hope you like Vin, bringing a lot. Miss you, A. <laughs> Andy and Raythea stayed much longer this time, and Vera invited them to stay at the Yorkeson estate. With all their meetings with Ecal, other corporations, and conferences, she figured they might want to have their own private space and offices. Plus, it was much easier to coordinate with all the security and drivers, and it was nice not to come home to an empty estate. They packed for this trip like they were moving in, and when the motorcade arrived, I was not expecting a container van following them through the gates. That was mostly lost on me, because all I remember was jumping into Andy's arms. <laughs> Raythea, however, had seen the look on my face as our estate manager started directing the movers to unload boxes. After Andy put me down... She put her arm around me and said, My son says I may have overpacked, but I promise not everything is for me. The only thing I ever did was the shopping. Raythi was not wrong, and that first night over a bottle of the best Alondrin Vin I have ever had. They showered me with gifts from Alondra. I opened boxes with candles that smelled like their oceans and beaches and forests. There were copies of Annie's all-time favorite fiction books, several excellent books on the history of Haimavala Prime, and a very interesting book on ancient myths and legends, and travel books. 
Andy had marked all the places he loved and wanted to take me when I come to Alondra. There were also music and games and silly fun trinkets and an assortment of sweets and treats from all over. And then Raythea had her own gifts for me. As a mother of only boys, she said she really was excited to go shopping for me. And I opened boxes full of sweaters and scarves and gloves and blankets and all things warm and snuggly. One box contained a beautiful woolen coat with a black fur collar and a black formal gown. It was amazing. Raythea was particularly proud of these and said that she had them made specifically for me by her favorite designer. Apparently she got my size from my mom. Of course, mom. (laughs) She said she wanted to thank me for allowing them to stay with me and everything I had done for them. Raythea also brought a ton of gifts for everyone in my family. I think I said thank you a thousand times for everything they brought me. And I was truly moved by how thoughtful they were. And I had so much fun hearing them tell me about each item. The three of us caught up, and it felt like part of my family was home. After a bit, Raythea excused herself and claimed that she was tired from the trip. But I think she just wanted to give us some privacy. When it was just us, Andy said that he got me something that was just from him. And he handed me a small red jewelry box. I opened it to find a large, radiant-cut black diamond on a platinum band with two smaller, equally beautiful clear diamonds on either side. When I didn't say anything, he awkwardly started explaining that my mom told him that I loved black diamonds, and this one was from the planet Yasna. I just threw my arms around him and kissed his cheek. He blushed, and I could tell that he was really pleased that he got me something I loved. Obviously, I put it on immediately, and I've hardly taken it off since. As they settled, I also learned that Raythea is an amazing chef and that it's nearly impossible to get her out of the kitchen when she's not working. She brought so many spices and dry goods and baking supplies and new appliances and cases of vin, I thought she was going to start an import business. Apparently, she graduated from culinary school and owned a restaurant before she became scion to her house. And then her mother said, House Finstrasse always comes first. It's time to be done with your hobbies, and sent her to business school. (laughs) Raythea started a monthly family meal for the ground staff, drivers, and security team. This apparently is something she does at the Vinstrasse estate and insisted on doing for our staff as well. We basically flip roles, and the staff sits around the kitchen island drinking vin and bure while Raythea tells stories and prepares a gourmet meal. The staff have all independently told me they love this tradition, and demanded that she stay. (laughs) And one night over Vin, I asked her how she could stand to be away from Andy's father, Reese, for so long. And her eyes twinkled, and she said, He's a particle physicist, my dear. He's married to his work. Which means I'm his mistress. I miss him desperately, but the poor dear probably hasn't noticed that I'm gone. Andy clarified later that this is not the case, because while his father is very introverted, he worships Raythea and was likely moping around his lab, making his colleagues miserable while she was gone. (laughs) Mari and Heather adore Andy. Yes, Heather is still with Max, the professional segbit sailor she messaged you about. I have to say he's grown on me. It turns out he's a really sweet guy who really loves her. Also, did you know that Kai and Mari had a fling for a few months? I feel like she would have told you over me. (laughs) It was apparently very intense, and Mari said it got too real too fast. They're both so conflicted and heartbroken about their feelings, so I think some of your famous words of wisdom might be in order here. 
Well, aside from some weekend trips away with the girls and their boyfriends. Andy and I actually spent most of our free time at the estate or with my family. With our busy schedules, it was nice just to be home together, without the eyes of the Amana Empire watching us. The gossip broadsheets speculated wildly about our relationship again. Andy said that he was flattered the news was focused on him being happy, instead of commenting about how he was too young to be a scion of House Corporation. The gossip wasn't wrong this time, though. We grew closer and more comfortable with each other the longer Andy lived with me. He's incredibly sweet and does these nice little things, like leave the cafe pot on for me when they leave, set up little dinners out on the lawn for just the two of us, or spend hours staying up late talking. One night we were in the lounge watching some sporting event Andy wanted to see. He had his head on my lap, which is something he often does when it's just us. Anyway, he pressed his hands around my right hand and said something about how small my hands were. And then our eyes met. We kiss. <laughs> well, one of my favorite things about having everyone around were the discussions we had about the history and the impact on the current times. For Andy and Raythea, the ancients were history lessons they learned in primary school, and they know what happened in the gaps of our history. We all had amazing discussions about the impact of the Citizanda on both societies. In the wake of the disaster, the Alithians feared repeating the past and intentionally slowed their pace of scientific advancement. Hymabinans, on the other hand, we used every ancient advantage we dug out of the ice trying to catch up, regardless of the risk. The fact that we haven't destroyed ourselves is pure luck. Given our shared heritage, it's not surprising that the Alithian political ideology is similar to the ancients, and by extension, the Hymabinans. Our Sankomas are essentially the same, with the notable difference that they don't have an upper house composed of matriarchs. Despite this, they are both impressed of the stories of the original matriarchs in the wake of the Citizanda. Raytheus said that I should be proud to come from such a line of amazing leaders. And I said, yeah, no pressure. And I winked at Vera. Andy, whose degrees are in, wait for it, political science, <laughs> loves to talk about the Lithian political system. Each planet has a senior minister who sits at the head of the individual planetary governments. However, the true power of the Lithian system lies with the Speaker of the Samkoma, who is appointed by the ruling coalition, which consists of politicians from all the planets. He said that she really is the true head of the colonies and all of the Mana Empire. The Speaker runs the chamber, sets the agenda, and leads negotiations with the opposition leader, known as the Shadow Minister. One evening, Andy mentioned that he was surprised that we didn't have a Speaker. Vera told him the idea popped up occasionally, but rarely received serious consideration. Andy replied, if the Empire had not already suggested Haimavina appoint a senior minister, they soon would. And I caught a sly grin pass between Vera and Mikkel. They're always plotting. Honestly, Vera would be the natural choice for the Haimavina senior minister. Most folks already think that she is the unofficial head of the planet anyway. Of the three prime ministers, Vera has the most influence in the Samkoma, and the others usually side with her and don't push back against her policy proposals. She got a lot of credit for seeking Lulean independence because her constituents enjoyed a leader who stood up for their rights. The move was so popular enough that it sparked similar initiatives in Yodath and Trisavan. Vera pivoted when the Alithians arrived and gained even more popularity by withdrawing the Lulean independent vote for the good of planetary cooperation. 
My dad becoming scion to House Jorgensen pushed those numbers up even higher. Even if that's possible. Frosted brilliant. It's not hard to understand why Vera is such a popular politician. She speaks plainly and openly about difficult things. Much the same as she is in private. When the topic of my dad becoming scion came up, she admitted that she was too hard on him as a kid and regretted it because it soured their relationship. She talked about the constant worry for his safety and her fears that someone would target him to get back at her. And Raytheia's eyes filled with tears when Vera said this. And she squeezed Andy's hand. He shook his head towards his mom, ever so slightly, just as Vera moved to him. She grabbed his hand and spoke to him in a whisper. When Vera speaks, it's like you're the only one in the room, even if she's addressing the entire planet. Andy clearly responded to her words. And I saw him relax in a way I had not seen before. Despite their length of stay, Andy and Raythea did not attend a gala until a couple months ago, the night before they departed for Alondra. There always seemed to be a scheduling conflict, so when the Langs announced that they were hosting a gala outside of Stromsheim, Vera and I conspired to ensure their calendar was clear. We decided to make it a big family event at the estate, and we gathered everyone, including the Fjallstads, who flew in just for the weekend. The first night was, as Kai would later describe it, epic. Raytheon and Lars teamed up and used their combined culinary skills to prepare maybe the best meal any of us have ever had. After dinner, we all hung out on the back lawn and drank too much and played music and just enjoyed the incredible weather that Stromheim seemed to have ordered for us. The kids, which included my five Fjallstad cousins, Heather's boyfriend Max, Andy, Kai, and I, stayed up late with several bottles of Bjor. And we taught Andy some Stromheim sailor songs and played silly drinking games. At one point... Kai grabbed his bottle of Bjor, ran down to the pool. He set his bottle down long enough to strip off all of his clothes and jumped in. <laughs> Naturally, we all headed to the pool. Heather and I ditched our clothes and grabbed towels from the pool house. As we came out, Max and Andy snuck up behind us, scooped us up, and jumped into the pool. <laughs> it was so fun just to relax and be a little drunk and have fun. We all eventually dried off and got dressed and headed to the fire pit with piles of blankets. You would have had so much fun, and we all said we wish you were there with us. Our parents found us asleep around the fire pit in the morning. My mom says she took pictures for blackmail purposes later. <laughs> the following evening before the gala, I surprised Andy with an early birthday gift. He's obsessed with ancient watches, almost as much as I am with black diamonds. A couple weeks prior, my dad and I attended a private auction for items that have been recovered from a 3,000-year-old shopping mall. Proceeds went to continue the excavation and research hospitals around the planet, so it was for a good cause. My dad went solely to get an ancient guitar for my mom. The guitar is stunning, and my mom will lose it when she sees it. But I was there for the jewelry and the watches. The watches were still sealed in their packaging with the original paperwork. There were some nice pieces, but I was after the one the serious collectors had come for. It was from a limited release of the same model worn by the first Mana to step foot on Alondra. Jezun, only 50 of these were ever made. Other collectors said there were only three on Alondra and possibly another one on Veron. The bidding got competitive, but I won. And when Andy opened the box, he almost fainted. Then he picked me up and kissed me and said, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. 
My dad commented that he may be overpaying me, but it was totally worth it. <laughs> After that, we left for the gala, and everyone looked incredible. Andy tied his hair back and wore a traditional lithium suit in black, with a high-collar jacket, and the watch I gave him. Raytheus stole the evening, though, in a stunning red couture gown with a deep neckline. After Andy and his mother were announced, he found his way to me, and as we walked around, I gave him the background on everyone we met, like Lillian had taught me. We made a pretty good team, and easily managed some more overzealous representatives and corporate types. We fell into an easy rhythm, and because our houses are not focused in the same industry, it was easy to work together without taking each other's wind. We also created our own private cant if one of us needed a break, or needed to have a private conversation with someone. Galas hosted by the Langs are noted for their dancing, and my parents are usually the first to hit the dance floor. They are so gorgeous together that they always make the official photos. Usually me, Kai, and my cousins find a spot at the bar to post-game and watch the show. But this time, Andy dragged me on the dance floor. But when a slower song began, he pulled me close while we continued to dance. And he told me that I looked radiant, and that the past year was the best of his life. And I said it was for me as well. And then he said, You asked me a couple years ago what I needed, and I told you nothing. I wasn't being entirely honest. And then he leaned down and whispered, Because what I need is you. We forgot that we were in public, and we kissed. It was a pretty amazing kiss, because we didn't see the flashes or hear the sound of the shutters until we stopped and realized we had an audience. The official photographer caught our first public kiss. (laughs) Needless to say, we made the official photos. And those pictures hit the nets very quickly. We made the cover of several magazines and all the gossip broadsheets. (laughs) I'm still a little mortified, but the picture is really beautiful. I attached it, but you may have already seen it on the network already. I purchased a copy directly from the photographer, who was thrilled to hear from me, and said he had received a bunch of accolades for it. I have the photo framed by my bed. (laughs) The next day, we all spent our last brunch laughing and having a wonderful time. Eventually, Andy and Raytheus' ride arrived, and there were a lot of hugs and more tears as we all said goodbye. My dad even hugged Andy, which seemed to surprise them both. (laughs) I walked him out to the vehicle, and Andy's eyes were filled with tears. And then he whispered something very sweet in the laundron slang. And then I felt him slip his right hand into mine, bring my hand up, and kiss my family runes in a very traditional way of saying that he was committing himself to me. And I stood there stunned. And he said, I'm yours, Sella. And we kissed. When I walked inside, everyone was hooting and hollering. (laughs) Vera put her arm around me and announced, Well... You could do worse. He could be a musician. And everyone laughed. But not as hard as my mom. (laughs) Well, now you're up to date. I hope my message at least entertained you. (laughs) Uncle Helgi and Aunt Juniper arrived yesterday, so son and dog brunch should be a fun time. So I'm sure I'll have more stories for you. I know the girls, Kai, my mom, and Iria are all sending messages to you. And I hope you're feeling better. And let Javi know thank you for letting me know what happened. I have reevaluated my opinion of him. Because you know I'm still mad at him at that fight from all those years ago. But he's a good friend. I'm sending you healing hugs. I so wish I could have been there when you woke up. Vinder Tilinda, CJ, age 29.
You have been listening to an episode of Binary Saga. The part of CJ is played by Vanessa Shannon Anderson. The part of Jason has been played by Steve Petrocelli. Javi is James Hare. Music by Eric Matias and soundimage.org. Thank you to our Patreon members, Rob and Mary Carnahan. If you like what we're doing, please consider visiting our Patreon page, which can be found in the Where to Find Us menu on our website, or leave a review on your favorite podcast app. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook with at The Binary Saga. Want to ask us questions? You can join us on Discord for general chat. Find all of these links and more information at BinarySaga.com. You can also read the print version of the entire first and second season in Kindle or paperback form on Amazon. Print versions include a number of extra stories and background information. Just search for The Binary Saga.